For those of you that just joined us on Facebook Live, good evening. You're missing out an audio-visual presentation tonight, so uh, no close-ups or anything like that, so you'll just have to come back next week. <laughs> All right, uh, we find ourselves in Romans chapter 12, verses 3 to 5, but for the purpose of context, I'd like to read verses 1 through 5. So follow along. It says, Therefore, brothers, by the mercies of God, I urge you to present your bodies as a living sacrifice, holy and pleasing to God. This is your spiritual worship. Do not be conformed to this age, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind, so that you may discern what is the good, pleasing, and perfect will of God. For by the grace given to me, I tell everyone among you not to think of himself more highly than he should think. Instead, think sensibly, as God has distributed a measure of faith to each one. Now, as we have many parts in one body, and all the parts do not have the same function, in the same way, we who are many are one body in Christ and individually members of one another. Okay, let's pray. Father, as we come this evening, we thank you. Thank you that you have not only saved us, but you have enabled us uh, to minister to one another and to a lost and dying world. Uh, we pray that uh, you would open our hearts and our minds to the things that you have for us this evening. We also remember that uh, there are many people that are uh, struggling with whatever uh, the cold or whatever that's going around right now. And pray, Father, that you might uh, raise them all up and give them grace to uh, return soon. Thank you for this time together. In the name of Jesus Christ, amen. Okay, for those of you that uh, are on Facebook Live, uh, thankfully I'm able to be back with you, but uh, still struggling, so there may be a little bit of coughing here and there. Um, got a good case of bronchitis, and that's not abnormal for me. No, I didn't have COVID. There are more diseases than that in this world today. <laughs> so, not anymore. Okay, sorry about that. Um, in our uh, uh, outline, you'll see, first of all, in our introduction, the context. Very often, we have a tendency to look at passages of Scripture or verses of Scripture and kind of forget the context. For example, I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me, right? Uh, now, yes, I can do all things in the sense of that which is glorifying to God, regardless of what my circumstances are, because of the grace of God that I find in Christ Jesus through the power of the Holy Spirit, I can do whatever God wants me to do. Okay? The context doesn't say you can do anything. It says you can do all things. And in the context, Paul is saying, I've learned to be content in whatever state I'm in, whether I'm starving or full, whether I'm you know, sleeping in the sea for three nights or, or whatever the case may be. It is as I'm walking with God, I can do what God wants me to do in Christ Jesus. So in this particular passage, Romans 12, 1 and 2, we get the idea that God wants us to offer our bodies as a living sacrifice. It is the reasonable, spiritual, logical uh, conclusion when you've seen the mercies of God in the first 11 chapters. And we understand we don't want to be conformed to the image of this age, but we're transformed, we're changed by the renewing of our mind. We are in the Word of God. We're learning to see things from God's perspective and think the way He wants us to think so that we might prove what is the good, acceptable, and perfect will. And so therefore, we look at it as, who am I supposed to marry? What college should I go to? Instead of understanding these two verses fit into a context. And so when we get to verses 3 through 5, we see the believer's spiritual gifts. So letter A, the reason for presenting your body is a living sacrifice. The work of the Lord is in the hands of the body of Christ. Let's remember the Great Commission, Matthew 28, 19 and 20. He says, uh, well, actually, verse 18 says, all authority is given unto me. That's pretty important because the next thing he says is, go therefore and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe all things that I have commanded you. And lo, I am with you always, even to the end of the age. Amen. So that's the Great Commission. 
the actual command in this passage is make disciples. <laughs> yeah, unfortunately, uh, for many years, a lot of people have used the go as the command. The command form and the uh, the infinitive form, I, I can't remember. It, it's as you're going, make disciples. The command is make disciples. So the command form and the other form are identical, and so people confuse them. But in reality, the command here is make disciples. And notice uh, what that entails. Well, it's going to entail teaching them to observe. So you're actually going to be teaching people what God says about various subjects. Hopefully, you're able to give them the why sometimes. We don't always know the why. God said so, that's good enough. But hopefully you can tell them the why and even show them the how. So therefore, discipleship means that you're answering questions and helping people learn how to walk in a way that's pleasing to God. And some of that actually happens pre-conversion. We, because we live in a microwave society, have decided that you ought to be able to go knock on a door, share with them the Romans road, and by the end of that presentation, they're going to be convicted, fall on their knees, get saved, because we read Cornelius and Peter in Acts chapter 10. And bing, bang, bong, they're going to get saved, and they're going to want to come to church, and, and, and. And discipleship is not a microwave situation. It is the establishment of relationships. It's the, it's the caring for people, even when oh, sometimes they can really be irritating. Uh, it is the uh, constantly being there and answering questions and, and demonstrating wisdom and, and living the life of Christ before them. So it starts before salvation. Of course, if they make a decision for Christ, it goes on afterwards, where now you're going to be baptizing them in the name of the Father, the Son, the Holy Ghost. So notice uh, under baptizing, identification with Christ's death, burial, and resurrection. Uh, for those people who believe that Baptism has something to do with being saved. Somehow, physical water is going to wash a heart problem away. Obviously, we don't agree with that. The baptism does two things. First of all, it helps the new believer understand, look, you died with Christ, you were buried with Christ, you've been raised again to walk in newness of life, uh, a, a new life, a different life. And so it gives them the picture of what spiritually, hopefully, has already happened to them. It is also, notice here on the outline, a proclamation of that uh, person's, uh, that new person. And he's basically saying, hey guys, I'm one of you. Now, hold me accountable. Because, of course, the person that's in the discipleship relationship is going to continue to teach them to observe all things that I've commanded you. So, uh, discipleship, like parenting, like marriage, is not a bing, bang, bong, it's done, it's over, and we can go now. No, it's a relationship. It takes time. Sometimes it's hard work. Okay? That's what we've been called to do. That's the Great Commission. Now, number two, how do we, in unredeemed bodies, with the law of sin still in us, serve a holy God? Well, let me read a couple passages for you. For the sake of uh, uh, Romans 7, I didn't want to waste paper, so let's just go back a couple pages. Romans 7, starting in verse 14. He says, For we know that the law is spiritual, but I am made out of flesh, sold into sin's power. For I do not understand what I am doing, because I do not practice what I want to do, but I do what I hate. As believers, have you suffered with that frustration, where you know, this is part of my old life. I, I don't want to continue to do this. But it's a struggle that goes on after salvation. And though I've been saved for now 41 years, that struggle isn't over. It ends when I see Jesus. 
When this unredeemed body, this mortal, this corrupted, puts on immortality, puts on incorruptibility, that's when that battle ends. But as a younger Christian, he is seeing the problem, and uh, he's uh, explaining what he can. He says in verse 15, For I do not understand what I am doing, because I do not practice what I want to do, but I do what I hate. And if I do what I do not want to do, I agree with the law that is, it is good. So in recognition that what I'm doing is not what God would have me to do, I'm admitting that what God would have me to do is the right thing. It's good. goes on, uh, So now I am no longer the one doing it, but it is sin living in me. It is that unregenerate uh, thing that's still going on inside of this body. He goes on to say, For I know that nothing good lives in me that is in my flesh, for the desire to do what is good is with me, but there is no ability to do it. As a new creature, I want to do what God wants me to do, but I do not have the capability in and of myself to do it. We actually find out where that capability is in Romans chapter 8, which we'll look at a little bit later. He goes on to say, For I do not do the good that I want to do, but I practice the evil that I do not want to do. Now, if I do what I do not want... I am no longer the one doing it, but it is sin that lives in me. So I discover this principle that uh, when I want to do what is good, evil is in me, for in my inner self I joyfully agree with God's law, seeing that a different law in the parts of my body, the unregenerate uh, man here, uh, waging war against the law of my mind, the new believer, new mind, new heart, wants to do what God wants to do. Those two are at odds with one another. But it takes me prisoner to the law of sin in the parts of my body. What a wretched man that I am. Who will rescue me from this dying body? I thank God through Jesus Christ our Lord. So then, with my mind, I myself am a slave of the law of God, but with my flesh to the law of sin. So he basically ends Romans chapter 7 with a recognition that as long as I'm in this unredeemed body, I'm going to have my failures. And thankfully, chapter 8, verse 1 starts out with, there is therefore now no condemnation for them that are in Christ Jesus. Okay? Uh, Galatians 5.17 basically says the same thing. It says, for the flesh, unredeemed body, lusts against the spirit and the spirit against the flesh, and these are contrary to one another, so that you do not do the things that you wish. Okay? Now, since that's the state that we live in, how do we serve a holy God? Well, notice letter A. Fully supplied and enabled spiritually by the Redeemer. In 2 Peter 1, 2-4, it says, Grace and peace be multiplied to you in the knowledge of God and of Jesus our Lord, as his divine power has given to us all things that pertain to life and godliness through the knowledge of him who called us by glory and virtue, by which have been given to us exceedingly great and precious promises that through these you may be partakers of the divine nature, having escaped the corruption that is in the world through lust. So you see here, we are fully supplied and enabled spiritually by the Redeemer. Now mind you, notice it says at least twice here, uh, it says, in the knowledge of God and of Jesus our uh, Lord, and then through the knowledge of him who called us, getting to know God gives us more understanding of how to access, how to appropriate the gra uh, grace that God has given us so that we would walk in a way that's pleasing to him. Uh, so notice the power of the Spirit, Romans 8, 10 through 14. And if Christ is in you, the body is dead because of sin, but the spirit is life because of righteousness. Again, <coughs> sorry about that. Um, our body being dead doesn't mean that the heart stopped and the lungs stopped breathing and things like that. It's incapable, just like Romans 7, incapable to do that which God has called it to do. It goes on to say, but the spirit is life. So as we learn to walk in the spirit, now we have 
not just eternal life, but we get to experience abundant life here. We get to demonstrate the life of God, or as Peter said, the divine nature. And in so doing, we escape the corruption that's in the world because of the desires of the unredeemed body. We overcome what Romans 7 talks about. He goes on to say, But if the Spirit of Him who raised Jesus from the dead dwells in you, and if you're saved, He does, verse 9, He who raised Christ from the dead will also give life to your mortal bodies. Notice, mortal bodies. So we're talking about being empowered and able to live the way God wants us to live right here, right now, in these unredeemed bodies. Uh, through the Spirit who dwells in you. Therefore, brethren, we are debtors not to the flesh to live according to the flesh. For if you live according to the flesh, you will die. But if by the Spirit you put to death the deeds of the body, if by the power of the Spirit you overcome the sin in you, chapter 7, he says, you will live. You will experience the abundant life that Christ came to give us. For as many as are led by the Spirit of God, these are the sons of God. So how do, we, uh, in, how do we in unredeemed bodies with the law of sin still in us serve a holy God? Because we are fully supplied and enabled spiritually by the Redeemer. We have the power of the Spirit. And in so doing, we have, number two, access to all that is included in salvation. Now, there, there's a bunch of verses there. And because we want to get out here before nine, uh, I'm going to let you look some of those up. But it includes more than just someday we get to die and go to heaven. Okay, uh, Lynn and I were watching a show the other night on uh, Pure Flix. It was about a uh, kid that uh, got serious about his walk with the Lord while he was in youth group and this pastor that had uh, discipled him uh, in such a way. And I don't know how many times, and, and we'll be listening to 91.5, and everybody is talking about going to heaven. Look, when we get there, I think it's going to be glorious, but do you know God has called us to live Christ's life right here? In fact, the judgment seat of Christ, as, as Pastor was speaking about this morning, it's all going to be about how do you live for Christ or live Christ before everybody else right here. It's not going to be about, oh, goody, you got to be here. It's how did you live and so uh, all that's included in salvation, in Romans uh, 5, 1 to 5, we have peace with God. Uh, we uh, have everything that's necessary in the midst of trials because God has already sprinkled the love of God in our hearts through the Holy Spirit, uh, we, and therefore we can glory in Him. In uh, Ephesians 2, uh, 14 uh, through 22, and again, I don't want to read the whole thing, but it talks about him being our peace, uh, that the middle wall of partition has been broken down. So Jews and Gentiles in the same body, this is, this is all new stuff uh, when Paul was writing it. Now it's 2,000 years old, you know. But uh, it's a lot of things that are extra uh, about this than just going to heaven. Uh, Ephesians 3, 8 to 13. Uh, to me who am less than the least of all the saints, this grace was given that I should preach among the Gentiles the unsearchable riches of Christ and to make all see what is the fellowship of the mystery which from the beginning of the ages has been hidden in God who created all things through Jesus Christ. Huh? A lot of mystery and unrevealed stuff again. But he goes, look, I've had the privilege of telling people what God had hidden before. It's been hidden since the beginning of time, and here we get to preach the gospel. So we have all that is included in salvation, plus Hebrews 4.16, most of us uh, may be familiar with it, grace to help in time of need. He says, let us therefore come boldly to the throne of grace that we may obtain mercy and find grace to help in time of need. Of course, when is the time of need, as you see on your notes? It's always... We always need that grace to live the way God wants us to live. So notice letter B, without him, we can do nothing. And again, I know here we're familiar with John 15. Uh, Jerry, I remember you and Hannah memorized it. Uh, we, we had some kind of a thing going on a Wednesday night in the summertime, I think it was. And you and Hannah memorized John 15, one to, I don't, can't remember what. But uh, I am the true vine and my father is the vine dresser. Every branch in me that does not bear fruit, he takes away. And every branch that bears fruit, he prunes. 
Okay. Bearing fruit. We used to have signs hanging up all over the place called fruit happens because it's not something you do. It is something that as you're walking with God, the spirit of God does. The fruit of the spirit is love, joy, peace, and six more that I'll forget half of them. So I'm not going any further. Okay. But uh, if you're bearing fruit, God's trimming the parts that aren't really doing any good to bring forth that fruit. So therefore, you're going through trials to show you things that need to change in your life, things that need to be put off. Uh, You're going through trials to spiritually strengthen those spiritual muscles so that you can continue to endure because, hey, life is full of trials. Uh, You know, I have a lot of people come in with benevolence and they tell me why they couldn't pay their bill. And you know what it is every single time? Well, almost every single time. Life happened. Dave, Ramsey's ta- uh, Dave Ramsey talks about the importance of having an emergency fund. And uh, he goes, here's the reason why you need an emergency fund. Because most people will go to Target or Walmart come fall time when school's starting up again. They have an emergency. They have to buy new clothes for their kid to go to school. Now, the whole point of what he's saying is that's not an emergency. You knew it was coming, and yet you didn't do anything to plan for it, and so now you got to use the credit card. And that's not a good thing if you're trying to be financially independent. (coughs) Excuse me. So uh, same thing is true here. Let me see where I am. Uh, He goes on to say... um, You are already clean because of the word which I have spoken to you. Abide in me and I in you. And again, this whole abide thing is kind of like, what do you mean by that? The idea is remembering. He's the vine. You're the branch. We have a tendency to think we're the vine. So I'm independent. I can go do whatever I want to. Kind of like, boy, if there is one formula in the scripture, it is trust in the Lord with all your heart. Lean not on your own understanding. In all your ways, acknowledge him. He'll direct your path. That's the concept of abiding in him. But notice he goes on, and I in you. He lives in us, right? As the branch cannot bear fruit of itself unless it abides in the vine, neither can you unless you abide in me. I am the vine, you are the branches. He who abides in me and I in him bears much fruit. For without me, you can do nothing. And again, this is all, if you will, introductory material to spiritual gifts. So how do we in unredeemed bodies with the law of sin still in us serve a holy God? The power of the Spirit abiding in Christ. And then notice Philippians 4.13, through him I can do all things. Again, uh, in this particular case, though it's talking about learn to be content, whether he's rich or poor or whatever, it does fit here because it is only through him through the power of the Spirit in me, that I, living in this unredeemed body, can serve a holy God and actually accomplish something to the glory of God because it's Him doing it in and through me. Why is that important? Notice letter uh, number three. Future judgment based on that which is built on the foundation of Christ, 1 Corinthians 10 uh, 3.10 through 15. Uh, another way of saying this is things that are done for the glory of God. According to the grace of God, which was given to me, as a wise master builder, I have laid the foundation and another builds on it. But let each one take heed how he builds on it. For no other foundation can anyone lay than that which is laid, which is Jesus Christ. Now, if anyone builds on this foundation with gold, silver, precious stone, wood, hay, straw, each one's work will become clear for the day will declare it because it will be revealed by fire and the fire will test each one's work of what sort it is. If anyone's work which he has built on, it endures, he will receive a reward. If anyone's work is burned, he will suffer loss, but he himself will be saved yet so as through fire. Now, It's not my desire to exposit that particular passage right now. I know there are some people think this is only dealing with people that are, quote unquote, in the ministry. But I'd like to tell you, we are all in the ministry. As I have said for the last few weeks, you are God's outreach program. We are living our life in Christ by the power of the Spirit, building on that foundation. Okay? And if you're not doing it in the power of the Spirit... You're building on that foundation. Wood, 
a stubble. Because without me, you can do nothing. And the idea is not that you can't do anything, but you can't do anything that has any eternal value. Okay, so when we look at Romans 12, 1 and 2, we're going to present our bodies as a living sacrifice so we can figure out how, which college to go to? No, it's so we can figure out how God wants us to live in the body, uh, uh, at work, wherever the case may be. And it goes on, notice the use of humility in verse 3. He says, for I say through the grace given to me. And Paul does this quite often. He says, I'm speaking through the grace that's given to me. This is not me talking. This is something that God has shared with me, and I'm sharing it to you. I didn't come up with the rules. I'm passing on what I'm understanding from uh, our Heavenly Father, okay? So I speak through the grace given to me. The word for here is a transition from spiritual service to spiritual dedication. It is one thing to come to the conclusion, okay, I've looked at the first 11 chapters, found that God is merciful. Okay, yeah, I can, I can kind of go along with him on that. To, well, I, I just did the questions for our men's Bible study on Thursday night, Isaiah chapter 6. Okay, he sees the Lord high and lifted up, right? And he goes, uh-oh, I am a man of unclean lips, and I dwell among a people of unclean lips. The angel grabs the tongs, grabs a piece of coal, comes over from the altar, comes over, touches his lips, and says, you are clean, your sin has been purged. And, and when you get back to what the Hebrew words mean, you have to come to men's Bible study. It's really cool, but I'm not going to go there tonight. The next thing that happens, your, your sins are purged. Who is going to go for us? And who will I send? No, actually, he says, who will I send for us? And who will go? Because he starts out with the idea of God giving the command, and then he follows up with the, who's going to voluntarily be a part of what I'm commanding? Interesting. Isaiah didn't get, quote, unquote, saved to sit there and soak. Go to the synagogue and, oh, wow, isn't that a good reading from the, uh, the Isaiah? I haven't written it yet. Uh, you know, uh, he, he's not, he got saved to serve. Okay? And so here we see the same kind of thing. Uh, for a transition from spiritual service, uh, uh, that recognition that this is the logical conclusion, to, okay, now get on it. And then notice the grace given to me. Again, uh, several passages here. Paul uses this concept over and over and over again. So the basis of everything that has eternal value, that's what grace is. The basis of everything that has eternal value. Just as we are saved by his grace alone, we can only serve him by that same grace. Now, you catch that? We were saved by grace. We were saved by faith in what the Spirit revealed to us. And that is how we are to continue to walk. By grace, as the Spirit reveals to us, we, we need to be doing what God tells us to do. That's the way it is. That's the basis of everything that has eternal value. Number two, his appeal is based indirectly on his apostolic rank. Uh, so he received his apostleship only by grace, and he constantly makes reference to his not deserving that apostleship. Uh, let me read you a couple of verses. Uh, Ephesians 3, 7, and 8. Of which I became a minister according to the gift of grace of God given to me by the effective working of his power. To me, who am less than the least of all the saints, this grace was given that I should preach among the Gentiles the unsearchable riches of Christ. Or how about 1 Timothy 1.12? And I thank Christ Jesus our Lord who has enabled me because he counted me faithful, putting me into the ministry, although I was formerly a blasphemer, a, a persecutor, and an insolent man. But I obtained mercy because I did it ignorantly in unbelief, and the grace of our Lord was exceedingly abundant with faith and love which are in Christ Jesus. So he's recognizing, I'm not up here speaking because I'm all that. I, I, I am an apostle, but this is all because of the grace of God, not because of me. 
And so uh, he constantly makes reference of his not deserving that. He goes on to say, For I say through the grace given to me to everyone not to think of himself more highly than he ought to think. So humility is a foundational virtue. I remember a few years back uh, we were teaching on the concept of the filling of the Spirit, and uh, we, we came to a variety of conclusions. But one of the first things that was necessary, if you're, if you're going to walk in the Spirit, if you're going to be filled with the Spirit, is you've got to have a, 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 a true understanding of who you are. You've got to be humble. Okay? Uh, if we go back and look at uh, pastors, uh, what do you, your daily affirmation, um, throughout that, this is what's true about me because I'm in Christ, not because I'm me. Okay? Uh, I, I am uh, blameless in Christ because God imputed his righteousness to my account. It's not because I got it all right. It's not because I'm something. It's because of what he's done. Uh, I'm forgiven and so on and so on and so forth. So humility is a foundational virtue. No matter how theologically sound, how well-grounded one may be, God's grace and his gifts will not operate so that our lives can be spiritually productive until self is denied. Think with me, Matthew 16, 24 and 25. Then Jesus said to his disciples, If anyone desires to come after me, let him deny himself, take up his cross, and follow me. For whoever desires to save his life, whoever is more concerned with what they think about them, he's going to lose it. But whoever loses his life for my sake will find it. John 15, 4 and 5. Abide in me and I in you, as the branch cannot bear fruit of itself unless it abides in the vine. Neither can you unless you abide in me. I am the vine, you are the branches. He who abides in me and I in him bears much fruit, for without me you can do nothing. Um, one of the things that I've seen in the church, and again, my perspective is a little bit different because I got saved when I was 21. I didn't grow up in the church. And so in looking at how the church operates sometimes, it's easy to see from my perspective that we have a tendency to think we got saved, uh, we don't uh, drink, we don't um, chew, and we don't go with girls that do, we're doing okay. Instead of understanding that first section where, you know, I still, as a saved person, cannot do anything that pleases God without His grace, without His power, without the power of the Spirit uh, on me. And that's why I deny self, take up my cross and follow Him, because I need Him to be doing it in and through me, not thinking that somehow, I got this, God, I'll let you know when I need you. Okay? How about Romans, I mean, John fifteen eight. By this my Father is glorified that you bear much fruit, so you will be my disciples. So again, we see the, the concept of uh, it's as we're abiding, as we're uh, humble and recognize it's not me, it is him uh, that uh, we get to see uh, spiritual fruit come about. The word here for to not think more highly of oneself is huperfroneo, to esteem oneself over much, to be vain or arrogant, to think more highly. Uh, I don't know about you. But uh, I grew up in foster homes, and uh, parents split up relatively young of age. Uh, one of the things that my father drove into my head when he had custody of us, we lived in foster homes, but he would take us on the weekends. We lived in the bars for the most part. But uh, he would drive into my head, you can't trust anybody. You can only trust yourself. And so by the time I'm 16 and I've decided that I'm not going to put up with my stepfather anymore and all that kind of stuff independent, self-sufficient, hit the road, Jack, and didn't go back no more, no more. <laughs> okay. Um, but uh, I, I moved in with my dad for a little while and then with some friends and then grandparents and, and uh, finally, after a while, got out on my own. Uh, but whole point being is a very self-sufficient person. And you know something? When you know you can't trust anybody else and you have to do it yourself, somehow you kind of make do. You, you, you make it. Very often, until God, of course, wants to get your attention, <laughs> okay? But 
because you're habituated to that lifestyle after you get saved, do you all of a sudden just stop being uh, independent and self-sufficient? Oh, no. No, no. You continue to hard-headedly go forward. This is what we're going to do. I know God wants me to do this. This is what I'm going to do. And wow, it takes a while to grow up spiritually when you're like that. But uh, the whole point of all that is in thinking that I had to take care of myself or that I could spiritually do something by myself, that is thinking more highly of yourself. Uh, Now, it shows itself in a lot of different ways. Uh, It says here vain or arrogant. Well, most Christians are at least going to hide the arrogance, you know, around most other people. But that doesn't mean that they're not. Um, all you have to do is sit here in judgment of all the people that aren't here tonight. Okay? There, there's a measure of arrogance to that. But it's spiritual arrogance because if you are spiritual, you... Has anybody ever done that before besides me? Oh, you, you guys too. Okay, I'm glad. Uh, but, but again, it, it is that concept that it is not humility. It is thinking more highly of yourself than you ought to, or if you will thinking about those lowly other ones, you know. Notice uh, letter D, one is not to overvalue his abilities, gifting, worth, but to make an accurate estimate. Let me uh, read a couple of verses for you. 1 Corinthians 4, 6, and 7. Now these things, brethren, I have figuratively transferred to myself and Apollos for your sake, that you may learn in us not to think beyond what is written, that none of you may be puffed up on behalf of one uh, against the other. For who makes you differ from another? And what do you have that you did not receive? Now, if you did uh, indeed receive it, why do you boast as if you had not received it? Galatians 6.3, For if anyone thinks, of himself, uh, thinks himself to be something when he is nothing, he deceives himself. First uh, Timothy 1, 12 through 16 again. I've already read verse 12 for you that he was a, a blasphemer, a persecutor, an insolent man. God, uh, he obtained mercy because he did it ignorantly. Then it goes on to say, and the grace of our Lord was exceedingly abundant with faith and love which are in Christ Jesus. This is a faithful saying and worthy of all acceptance that Christ Jesus came into the world to save sinners of whom I am chief. However, for this reason, I obtained mercy that in me first Jesus Christ might show all long suffering as a pattern to those who are going to believe on him for everlasting life. You know, a lot of people uh, get on that daily affirmation. <coughs> and uh, I've had a variety of people say, you know, God doesn't call us sinners. No, it's not a matter of God not calling us sinners. It's a matter of recognizing that, look, as long as I'm in this body, I I still have sin in me. So I'm never to think of myself as, you know, Paul calls everybody saints, right? Yes, that's because of what Jesus Christ did, not because I'm something special. And Paul, when you look at his writings when he's younger and then his older, this is when he's a little bit older. I'm the chief of sinners. Okay? That's not what God said about him. That's how he's looking at his life because he recognizes, wow, this is all by God's grace. This is not because I'm something. Okay? And that's the idea here. So, um, moving on to the next, uh, the back side of the page. We're not to think more highly of ourselves, but we're to think soberly as God has dealt to each one a measure of faith. You know, you might turn the page back around for a minute and to think more highly is to hooper for now and then go back to the back side of the page to think uh, soberly is so froneo. So you get a little bit of a different prefix. The, it basically means to be of sound mind, sane, moderate, to be in your right mind, to be sober-minded, soberly. So it is to think properly, if you will, about yourself. Notice, uh, number one, to recognize that in ourselves from our fleshly humanness can come nothing of eternal value. Without me, you can do nothing. In Christ, we can be used to the glory of God through the gifts that the Spirit bestowed on us. 
This is why when Dr. Tyler came here how many ever years ago and for a period of time was dealing with the whole self-esteem issue, he was trying to help people understand that you don't need to tell people to love themselves. They already do. I mean, anyone who thinks that independence and self-sufficiency, that's, hey, it's all about me. I can do it. I'm good. And uh, I remember that... uh, in my younger years, when I would uh, be um, corrected, I, I'd prefer to use that term. As soon as you say rebuked, you know, everybody, someone, well, you really blew it. Now, no, I was corrected, okay? And I would sit there and kind of sulk a little bit like, nobody loves me, everybody hates me, I'm going to eat some worms. And uh, one time, a pastor kind of saw that and he goes, Al, I love you too much to let you do this. And I'm going, what am I doing? I don't even know what he's talking about. And basically he was just saying, no, don't, don't go, don't be feeling sorry for yourself. Take the correction, learn from it, move on. Kind of like, praise the Lord, someone finally did that because I'd probably still be in that habituated cycle, okay? Because it was my self-love that, oh, I can't do it right, People would call that a a low self-esteem. No, that was high self-esteem. Everything had to be done right. A low, a proper self-esteem would be recognizing without Christ, I am nothing. I can do nothing that has eternal value. And therefore, uh, we see that humility. Letter B, as God has dealt to each one a measure of faith. Uh, the word dealt there is merizo, to part, to apportion, bestow, share, disunite, differ, deal, uh, be difference between, distribute, divide, uh, to give. Well, I probably should have erased that last part, the participle. First um, Corinthians twelve eleven says, But one in the same Spirit works all these things, distributing to each one individually as he wills. When we're talking about spiritual gifts, you know what I wish the Spirit of God had done? Made me into another John MacArthur. You know, wouldn't it be great if we had one in the Midwest? We already got one. Oh, there he is. Yeah, he looks a lot better than I do. He's got more hair than I do, too. But uh, whole point being, we have this tendency when we're talking about spiritual gifts uh, and stuff like that, not unlike the Corinthians, we kind of get jealous and do this comparison thing. And the reality is, is you have been spiritually gifted by the Holy Spirit at the moment of salvation with everything that you're going to get from him. And he did it exactly the way he wanted to do it so that you would be ministering in the body where you're supposed to be ministering. See, for one of us to say, I'm a really good preacher, that guy across the street, you know, maybe not so much, you know, uh, that's thinking more highly of yourself than you ought to because if the guy across the street is gifted and operates according to the gifts that the Spirit of God has given him for the ministry that he's being involved in, well, then that's really all that's important, isn't it? We might have a little bit of a different ministry on this side, and we might think that somehow, no, 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 don't go there. Don't go there. This is how God has gifted us, to fit in the body, to minister to the body, as well as those that are outside. Okay, that's the idea here, that the Spirit has distributed your spiritual gifting according to his will. And notice uh, each one a measure of faith. The word measure there is metron. It's a measure, a limited portion, a degree, or a measure. Let me read another uh, passage here. First Peter 4, 10, and uh, 11. As each one has received a gift, minister it to one another. Now, <coughs> excuse me. When we talk about spiritual gifts, the thoughts of most theologians is you have a spiritual gift. Some go, well, you have a primary and you might have a secondary. I would like to tell you my opinion. I think I have reason for it right here that you have them all to some measure. Now, the reason why I think you have them all to some measure is you are required, if you look at the spiritual gifts lists and, and get past the the sign gifts, 
just get into the service gifts, which First Peter 4, 11, 10 and 11 are going to deal with. Um, we're required, all of us are required to do all of them. Okay? Uh, for example, I don't have the gift of giving. Am I supposed to give? Yeah. Uh, I hear people say, well, I don't have the gift of evangelism. Are you supposed to share Christ with people? Now, I personally don't think there's a gift of evangelism. Do I think that some people are gifted in such a way that they do a better job of it than someone else? Yes. But nowhere in the Bible do you see this concept of the gift of evangelism. You do see the responsibility for everybody that's in the body to be evangelizing. Oh. Therefore, I believe you're gifted according to the measure of faith given to you. My wife is not an extrovert, neither am I, She's when we first got married, she was kind of like wallflower, and I'm the extrovert type guy. Uh, obviously, she's uh, not an introvert like that anymore. But the reality is, when we lived here before we went to Brazil, Lynn had talked to more people in our neighborhood about Jesus Christ than I had. And the, the way she did it was by talking over the fence while she's hanging laundry, walking with the kids on the street. People come out and talk. And, oh, what does your husband do for a living? Well, he's a pastor. Oh, how'd he get religion? And she just start telling them about Jesus. And the reality is, is that's what anybody should do. That, that's what Peter talks about. Sanctify the Lord God in your heart and be ready to give an answer for the hope that you have in you, right? Be ready in season, not a season. Whenever, be ready to give an answer. So that, that is what God has called us all to do. But some people want to go down to the Hustler parking lot and share Christ that way. Uh, that, that person is no longer going to church here, but that's what he used to do. Uh, do I, would I want to do that? No. I've done the door-to-door and all that kind of stuff. I don't have a problem with that, but I just soon live life the way Christ wants me to live and people to see it and then ask questions because I believe that's what God's outreach program. And like I said, you're it. So uh, we are to think soberly as God has dealt to each one a measure of faith. So uh, let's understand a couple of wrong attitude about gifts. Uh, in 1 Corinthians twelve twenty one, it says, the eye cannot say to the hand, I, oh, you know, I never did finish. Let me finish 1 Peter 4, 10 and 11. As each one has received a gift, minister it to one another as good stewards of the manifold grace of God. If anyone speaks, let him speak as the oracles of God. If anyone serves, let him do it with the ability which God supplies, that in all things God may be glorified through Jesus Christ, to whom be glory and dominion forever and ever. Amen. Now notice, Peter breaks up all of the gifts into two categories, speaking gifts and serving gifts. So whichever one you're doing, like, like I said a couple weeks ago, uh, Dave Wells is a servant, okay? Uh, he will, he'll serve until he can't serve anymore. Uh, but if you want to talk about Jesus, he'd be more than happy to sit down and talk about Jesus. You want him to get up here and talk about Jesus? Now, he, he, he don't like to do that kind of stuff, okay? Now, does that mean he can't talk about Jesus? No, he's just not a preacher, but he's a servant. And so when he serves, he serves according to the measure of grace given to him. If he has the opportunity to tell people about Jesus, he does so according to the measure of grace given to him, but he's not a speaker. That doesn't mean he can't. It's not where he's going to excel in his ministry. So getting back to uh, wrong attitudes about gifts, 1 Corinthians 12, 21, and the eye cannot say to the hand, I have no need of you, nor again the head to the feet, I have no need of you. So uh, the concept of using your gift boastfully, where the only people that are important are the speakers. The only people that are important are the ones that work in the kitchen. The only people that are important are the ones that work in Awana. The only people that are important, no, no, don't go there. Uh, in fact, there are times when we think that everybody ought to be doing more of what I'm doing. Don't go there. Why? Because the Spirit of God is the one who has distributed the gifts according to His will, and He's gifted you to think that this thing is important, and He's gifted them to think that thing's important. 
I know one of our ladies that uh, she she watches online uh, doesn't come in because she serves a lot of elderly people doing their hair and stuff like that. And she wants to make sure that she's not bringing something over there and that she doesn't get sick so that she can't minister to these people. But when she goes over to do their hair or their nails, she's going to be talking about Jesus. Okay? She doesn't do it the way I do it. Yeah, you don't want me doing your hair. It'll look kind of like mine, <laughs> um, that kind of a thing. But uh, so you're, not, you're never at that point where, wow, they ought to be doing it the way I'm doing it. How about false humility? First Corinthians twelve eleven through 12 and 19. But the one in the same spirit works all these things, distributing to each one individually as he wills. For as the body is one and has many members, but all the members of that one body being many are one body, so also is Christ. And if they were all one member, where would the body be? So this idea of, you know, I, I'm not like pastor. I, 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 I don't have that up in front of everybody type, so I'm not as good. Don't even go there. Again, the body has a lot of different members, a lot of different functions, but we're all still one body. So false humility. How about claiming gifts that we do not have? 1 Corinthians 12, 29, 30. Are all apostles? This is written in such a way that the obvious answer is no. Are all prophets? No. Are all teachers? No. Are all workers of miracles? No. Do all have gifts of healing? No. Do all speak with tongues? No. Do all interpret? No. That's the idea there. And and the whole point being there is we do have a movement among the charismatics that if you're saved, you're going to demonstrate that you're saved by speaking in tongues. Right there. Do all speak in tongues? No. So obviously that's not the manifestation that proves that you're saved. Fruit of the Spirit is, though, because that's not a gift. That is a spiritual life showing itself, if you will. Okay? So claiming gifts that we do not have. Failing to use a gift out of jealousy, resentment, or shame. 1 Corinthians 12, 15, and 16. If the foot should say, because I am not of the hand, uh, not a hand, I am not of the body. Is it therefore not of the body? And if the ear should say, because I am not an eye, I am not of the body. Is it therefore not of the body? So again, this whole idea that I don't, I don't have that gift like pastor does. So therefore, I, I'm, no, I'm not going to do anything. That, that's a wrong attitude about gifting. Uh, failing to use a gift at all, verses 6 through 8 in this very chapter, uh, Romans 12, 6 to 8. According to the grace given to me, uh, we have different gifts. If prophecy, use it according to the standard of one's faith. If service, in service. If, te- if teaching, in teaching. If exhorting, in exhortation. Giving with generosity, leading with diligence, showing mercy with cheerfulness. Okay, so again, uh, some people have a tendency to think that church is coming here into this building on Sunday morning, sitting here, listening to a message, and uh, maybe helping out a little bit here or there, but that's it. It's kind of like, no, that's not it. You've been gifted to minister in the body someplace. Everyone in the body ought to be serving someplace. Now, that doesn't mean you can't take a break from time to time, but we have all too many people that take a break and never get back after it. Okay? That might fall into the previous verse. Don't think more highly of yourself than you ought to, but think soberly. Someday I'm going to stand before the Lord Jesus Christ and give an account for this life. He's enabled me to serve I want to hear him say, well done, thou good and faithful servant. Where can I serve? Okay? Things to consider. So that brings us to verses 4 and 5. That was just verse 3. Verses 4 and 5, unity and diversity. There's one body in Christ, and we've already talked about that in 1 Corinthians 12, 12. Uh, it is mentioned in both of these verses, 4 and 5, representing unity. Now, I want you to understand, the church is a spiritual organism. It is not this building with walls, okay? Uh, We have people across the street in another building with walls that are part of the church. There are brothers and sisters in Christ. Another one around the corner, another one a little bit further down the road. There's some down yonder. There's some over there. The church is a spiritual organism. It consists of all people that are born again, okay? 
But notice the body uh, in Christ is uh, one body, but many members. Notice, but all the members do not have the same function. This is representing the concept of uh, diversity. The word for function there is praxis, practice and act, a function, deed, office, work. It connotes something that is ordinarily done or practiced. Okay? How many people uh, put their lips together and hum and toot their horn around here? We know of one big mouth. There's a, there's a couple other people that try. You know, uh, th- That's a function that I participate in. A couple others, but not everybody. Because if everybody did, that would be kind of weird. It's, it's weird enough that a couple will do it, right? <laughs> but uh, that's the idea. It connotes something that is ordinarily done or practiced, not always referring to offices such as apostle, prophet, evangelist, pastor, teacher, or deacon. So when we're talking about all of the members do not have the same function, we're not talking about the difference between elders and deacons. We're talking about people that are not elders and deacons are spiritually gifted, and they fit someplace in the ministry in the body. And so they need to figure out where that is and serve according to the grace given to them. Letter B, each member has gifts which serve their different purposes in the body. Uh, Obviously, not all people have offices. And whether it is an obvious and important gifting or a hidden and unnoticed thing, every part is critical. Uh, Ephesians 4.16 says... From, the, from whom the bo- whole body joined and knit together by what every joint supplies. Notice, every joint supplies, not just what the ones we consider important. According to the effective wor- working by which every part does its share, it causes growth in the body for the edifying of itself in love. So we all have a function. Every single one of us is important in the use of that function. Now, I'd like to read to you, fearfully and wonderfully made by Dr. Paul Brand uh, in the MacArthur uh, commentary here. This is just really good stuff. This is where the audiovisual comes in. I'm going to be the audio, and I've got some pictures here that will be the visual. How's that sound? Okay. Notice it says... I am first struck by their variety. Uh, Let me go back. In his book, Fearfully and Wonderfully Made, the uh, the internationally renowned surgeon, Dr. Paul Brand, writes of the amazing diversity and interrelationship of the parts of the human body. Speaking of the body's cells, he says, I am first struck by their variety. Chemically, my cells are almost alike. But visually and functionally, they are as different as the animals in a zoo. Red blood cells, here's your uh, uh, visual, Uh, discs resembling lifesaver candies, voyage through my blood loaded with oxygen to feed the other cells. Okay, there's your red blood cells. Muscle cells, which absorb so much of that nourishment, are sleek and supple, full of coiled energy. Okay, there's that. Cartilage cells with shiny black nuclei look like bunches of black-eyed peas glued tightly together for strength. One that most of us are familiar with, except for all you skinny people that are here. Fat cells seem lazy and uh, leaden, like bulging white plastic garbage bags jammed together. It's kind of like, you know, I just didn't need the uh, edification there. Bone cells live in rigid structures that exude strength. Cut in cross sections, had to do that one too, bones resemble tree rings, overlapping strength with strength, offering impliability and sturdiness. In contrast, skin cells form undulating patterns of softness and texture that rise and dip giving shape and beauty to our bodies. They curve and jut at unpredictable angles so that every person's fingerprint, not to mention his or her face, is unique. Kind of like, that's kind of cool. Even if you have a doppelganger, they're, they're not exactly the same. The aristocrats of the cellular world are the sex cells and nerve cells. Now, before you all get worried about what's going to be said, 
stop, okay? Let's be adults here. A woman's contribution, the egg, is one of the largest cells in the human body. It's ovoid shape, just visible to the unaided eye. It seems fitting that all the other cells of the body should derive from this uh, elegant and primordial structure. In great contrast to the eggs, quiet repose, the male's tiny sperm cells are furiously flagellating at tadpoles with distended heads and skinny tails. They scramble for position as if competitively aware that only one of billions will gain the honor of fertilization. The king of cells, the one I have devoted much of my life to studying, is the nerve cell. It is an aura of wisdom and complexity about it. Spider-like, its branches out and unites the body with a computer network of dazzling sophistication. Its axioms, its axons, wires carrying distant messages to and from the human brain can reach a yard in length. I never tire of viewing these varied specimens or thumbing through books which render cells uh, individually, they seem puny and oddly designed, but I know these invisible parts cooperate to lavish me with the phenomenon, phenomenon of life. Don't you love the way your tongue gets caught around your eye teeth, can't see what you're saying? My body employs a bewildering zoo of cells, none of which individually resembles the larger body. Just so, Christ's body comprises an unlikely assortment of humans. Unlikely uh, is, uh, is precisely the right word, for we are decidedly unlike one another. And the one we follow, from whose design come these co- uh, comical human shapes, which so faintly uh, reflect the ideas of the body as a whole. The body of Christ, like our own bodies, is composed of individual unlike cells that are knit together to form one body. He is the whole thing, and the joy of the body increases as individual cells realize they can be diverse without becoming isolated outposts. Dr. Brand also describes the unity of the seemingly endless diversity of cells. What moves cells to work together? What ushers in the high specialized function of movement, sight, and consciousness through the coordination of the hundred trillion cells? The secret to membership lies locked away inside each cell's nucleus, chemically coiled in a strand of DNA. Once the egg and the sperm share their inheritance, the DNA chemical ladder splits down the center of every gene, much as the teeth of a zipper uh, pull apart. DNA reforms itself each time the cell divides. Two, four, eight, 16, 32 cells, each with the identical DNA. Along the way, cells specialize, but each carries the entire instruction book of the 100,000 genes. DNA is estimated to contain instructions that, if written out, would fill a 1,600-page books. A nerve cell may operate according to uh, instructions from the volume four and a kidney cell from volume 25, but both carry the whole compendium. Compendium. It provides each cell's sealed credential of membership in the body. Every cell possesses a genetic code so complete that the entire body could be reassembled from information in any one of the body's cells. Just as the complete identity code of the body of my body inheres in each individual cell, so also, listen to this, the reality of God permeates every cell in Christ's body, linking us, members, with a true organic bond. A sense that bond, uh, I sense that bond when I meet strangers in India or Africa or California who share my loyalty to the head. Instantly, we become brothers and sisters, fellow cells in the body, uh, in Christ's body. I share the ecstasy of community in a universal body that includes every man and woman in whom God resides. So, whole point being is, look, we are part of the body of Christ. When we talk about uh, not being conformed to the image of this age, not, not thinking like they do, 
but being transformed by the renewing of our minds so that we may present our bodies as a living sacrifice and understand what is the good and acceptable and perfect will. The good, acceptable, and perfect will of God is you're a member of the body. You've been gifted. You are called to serve, not just be saved and soak, to serve. And it's not a matter of, well, what about that person? Peter pulled that one. What did uh, Christ say to him? If I want him to stay here until this happens, what's that to you? You follow me. So um, we shouldn't think more highly of ourselves than we ought to. We shouldn't think that somehow uh, we're not uh, to be about the business of ministering to the body, that we're not to be about the business of uh, reaching the lost and dying world, because that's what he called us to, and he has enabled us to. And someday we will be at that judgment seat of Christ where he will look at, okay, how'd you do? I gave you everything that you needed. How'd you do? Let's pray. Father, we thank you that you've given us everything that we need for life and godliness through the knowledge of you. I know, Lord, that in this day and age, there are many Christians, when it comes to to the knowledge of who you are and what you're like, they lack. I probably shouldn't have said it that way. We all need, Lord, that your spirit would continue to enlighten our hearts and our minds, that we might get to know you better. Because it doesn't matter what everyone else is doing, though we want to be an encouragement to them in their spiritual walk, we recognize, Lord, we want to get to know you so well that we are serving you day in, day out, moment by moment, anytime, anywhere, doing whatever, so that one day you might uh, might show forth that you've been glorified because of the work that you've done in and through us. We look forward to that day in the name of Jesus Christ. Amen.